0: So uh, while we get into faith um if you're just logging on the live stream my name is mike i'm one of the pastors here it's good to have you with us we are in the midst of a series entitled says who and in this series we're we're making an argument that there really is such a thing as objective morality as universal right and wrong and that god has communicated that to us in the bible but that, that that idea it begs the question of how do I know I'm getting this right? How do I know I'm I'm like correctly reading what it is that God is saying to me about myself and about who he is and about life and about how all these things work together? And so what we've been doing over the course of this series, each week we're taking a different type of literature from the Bible and we're going, okay, what are some of the principles, or what are some of the best practices that I can employ as I'm reading this book to really understand it as best I can? And we've, we've based this off of a book called How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth. So as we continue this week, the type of literature that we're going to look at today is called epistles. Everybody say epistles. epistles. Excellent, all right? And, uh, and so we're going to look at this type of literature, Looks at some best practices for it. But before we do... I want to take a minute, we want to pray, and then we're going to read somebody else's mail. Let's pray. Father, uh, just pray that you would be with us today, that you would speak to our hearts, our minds, that we would hear timeless truth for our lives, and that we would be receptive to you in it. Father, we want to pray for our students as there are a bunch of high schoolers down in Kentucky uh, just launching them into a missions trip today. And they're trying to partner with a community down there who's still recovering from a tornado that took place months ago. God, I pray you would draw those students to you, that they would be a blessing to that community, and as they serve, that they would be blessed by you in the midst of that. Father, we pray for... Pastor Laura and the Jacksons is there heading out to Portage Lake, and she's going to be the speaker at the biggest trailblazers they've ever had. That you would pour out your spirit on her, on those kids, that they would just hear and see Jesus and the life that there is in him this week. We ask these things in his name. Amen. So reading from the New Testament book of Philemon. Paul, a prisoner of Christ, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, also to Apphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers, because I hear about your love for all of his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. It is none other than Paul, an old man and now a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he's become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel." I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do would, be, would not seem forced but would be voluntary. Perhaps for this reason he was separated from you for a while that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave but better than a slave as a dear brother. He is very dear to me and even dear to you both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. Whew. You can go home and tell people, I read an entire book of the Bible today, right? Now, so reading through this, did it feel like you're reading somebody else's mail? You know why? Because you were reading somebody else's mail. See, that's what the epistles are. These books, in between the book of Acts and the book of Revelation, you got all these books, they're all epistles, and they are literally. Letters written by various authors to different groups of first century Christians, most of them churches, and they're written to them. You're reading somebody else's mail. The book of Philemon is written by the Apostle Paul to a guy named Philemon, to his household, and the church that meets in his house. So here's the deal with the epistles. On one hand, you have letters written to a specific group of first century Christians and these letters they speak to specific issues in those groups you're reading somebody else's mail and to some extent they contain information that is only applicable to those folks and yet on the other hand in the epistles you have letters that are meant to be read by the church throughout the ages you read the epistles and they encourage other church to read other churches letters and in them you have timeless principles for Christians everywhere at all times. And so the question becomes, how do I know what I'm dealing with? Like, how how do I best understand the principles for Christian living that the epistles contain for our lives today? How do I know when I'm reading something that was meant for them there and then, and how do I know when I'm reading something that's meant for here and now and for me? And so what we're going to do today in an effort to try and answer this question is we're going to look at a couple of best practices for reading epistles. And are there more than just two? Absolutely, there are more than just two. If you want more than just two, pick up that book, read the chapter on epistles, you'll get more than just two. For time's sake today, because Fabio wants to have lunch with you, we're going to limit ourselves to two. And we'll, we'll look at them as they fall into this context of the book of Philemon. And, and we'll kind of try and draw out a couple of, of timeless principles for our lives today from this book. So here we go. Best practice number one. As I'm reading, I want to try and discover what it meant to them. And here's what we mean by that. When we're reading the epistles, or really any book of the Bible for that matter, it should never mean to me what it never meant to them. Go am gonna say that again, this is super important. When we are reading the Bible, it should never mean to us what it never meant to them. If when I'm reading the Bible, I think this thing means something to me that it never could have meant to the original audience, I'm probably misunderstanding something. Always wanna start with, hey, what did it mean to them? Now, there, there are a few questions that I can ask That will help me best figure out what it meant to them questions like who was this written to like if i can figure out who the original recipients of this book or this letter were it will help me better understand what what i'm reading meant to them or i'll ask what's the story the epistles always have a story that go with them they are occasional in nature They are always written to address some issue that was taking place in that church or in that community of Christians' lives. If I can figure out what the story is, it will better help me understand what what I'm reading meant to them. And then I'll ask, you know, what are the significant cultural influences? Like, is there something significant taking place in the time and the people and the place and the events that that are cultural in nature? If I can figure that out, it will better help me understand what what I'm reading meant to them. So, let's take these questions and let's answer them for the book of Philemon. Book of Philemon all starts with a guy named Paul. He is planting churches all around the Mediterranean, trying to help as many people as he possibly can come into a relationship with Jesus. And Paul runs into this guy named Philemon. And, and Paul, you know, I don't know, Philemon's on a business trip or something. He's away from home, and Paul runs into him. And as he does with so many people, Paul convinces Philemon to become a follower of Jesus. And eventually Philemon goes back home to Colossia. And when he does, he gets involved with the other Christians there. He gets involved in the church. There. In fact, the church starts to meet in his house, and God does incredible things in Philemon and in that church until they hit a bit of a speed bump. What's that speed bump you may ask? That's a very intelligent question on your part. I'm glad you asked it. Philemon, who's in many ways a really good guy, he has a slave named Onesimus. And Onesimus consistently does a lousy job at the work that is assigned to him. And then one day he just disappears. And Onesimus is gone and Philemon figures out Onesimus stole a bunch of money from him used that money to fund a runaway trip to Rome and is now living in Rome on Philemon's dime. And Philemon feels burned by that. Now, before we go any further, l- let, me, let me answer some questions that culture is going to create for you. Th- there are some cultural influences going on here that, that are going to make you go, hey, wait a minute. Because, see, for some of us, the minute we heard the term enslavement, We got stuck. And we started going, hey, wait wait a minute. You said Philemon was a decent guy. You said he was a Christian. He's got a church meeting in his house. How do you reconcile any of that with the fact that he had slaves? Didn't he know slavery was wrong? Wasn't Onesimus justified in running away? How come when we read that letter, Paul didn't outright condemn slavery? Is this the kind of junk that people talk to when they say the Bible supports slavery? And all of those are really good and fair questions so briefly let me try and address them it's super super important when we're reading the new testament we come across the term like enslavement or slavery to understand it isn't what we naturally think of as americans here in the united states when we hear that term based on the history that's taken place in our country you you have the same term two radically different institutions With first century Greco-Roman slavery, for sure you had some ungodly and inhumane practices that went with it, but to say we've got an apples to apples comparison with slavery as it took place in our country is just intellectually, it's just wrong. It's intellectually irresponsible, just different thing. For example, first century Greco-Roman slavery, a person will be brought into that or sometimes enter into it voluntarily because they had become overwhelmed by debt and could not pay that back themselves, or they become so impoverished that they couldn't take care of their basic necessities of living, food, clothing, shelter. In many ways, it was the social service safety net of the day when the government did not do that for people. As a person who was enslaved, you could earn money, a significant amount of money, enough money to pay back your debts to purchase your own freedom, to even purchase slaves yourself who would work for you while you were enslaved. In first century Greco-Roman slavery, you could actually get to a point where your freedom was available to you. And it was not an uncommon thing for people to choose to remain enslaved because the benefits of slavery in that day, both financially and socially, actually outweighed those that came with freedom for a great number of people. In first century Greco-Roman world, slaves were were educated and influential. They were lawyers, they were doctors. Many scholars believe Luke of the New Testament was a slave. They were household managers, city managers. Again, there were ungodly, inhumane aspects to it. But to say it's the same thing as what took place in our country is just wrong. In fact, if you wanted a modern-day equivalent of what we're reading about in the book of Philemon. You shouldn't go to what took place in our country. A better example of it would be this. You're a wealthy business owner, and you run into a guy who's just not doing well. In fact, he's doing so poorly, if he doesn't get some help, he's gonna be homeless. But he's got some skills. And so you give him a job working for you, and every assignment you give him, he blows it. Does a miserable job. And then one day, he just quits coming to work. And you start doing some investigating, you discover he embezzled all kinds of money from the company. He used that to fund his trip to the Caymans. And now he's going to live the rest of his life in luxury, off of your dime. Who feels burned? Right? That's what's going on here. So Onesimus, he runs away to Rome. And he just happens to run into this guy named Paul there. And Paul convinces Onesimus to become a follower of Jesus. And Onesimus dives headlong into ministry with Paul. And then one day they're having a conversation about Onesimus's past. And he tells Paul how he wound up there. And Paul connects the dots between Onesimus and Philemon and himself. And so Paul sends Onesimus back to Colossia to make things right with Philemon. With a letter from Paul to Philemon in Onesimus' hand that we now know today is the New Testament book of Philemon. So try and just imagine the tension that comes with this scene. Standing now in your living room is the guy who was working for you, who did a lousy job the whole time he was working for you, who stole a whole pile of your money, who ran off on you and was planning on living out the rest of his days on your dime. What do you want to do to him? Now that he's within your reach, how do you want to respond to him? And what might that letter that he holds in his hand from your dearly loved, highly respected friend and mentor have to say about it all? That's what's happening in Philemon. Those those are the characters. That's the story. Those are the significant cultural influences. Now you may sit there and say, "Okay, that's, a, that, that's fascinating," but how in order am I supposed to come up with those kind of answers? Like, I'm not a pastor; I don't just know that kind of stuff. Pastors don't just know that kind of stuff, All right? Here's the deal: you want to know those kind of answers? Get yourself a good Bible dictionary. You open up the Fine Leeman and read it. Get yourself a, a, a commentary on the Book of Fine Leeman. Read the introduction. All those answers came from those places. Pastors don't just know that stuff. They just get the tools and do the work. Every one of us can do that. And in doing so, we can figure out what it meant to them. So that's best practice number one. Let's go on to best practice number two. Best practice number two is look for the timeless principles for Christian living. As I'm reading through the, the epistles, I want to go, okay, what is the timeless principle about who God is, or how he interacts with humanity, or what it means to follow Jesus now? What are the timeless principles that I'm reading here? And again, there are just some, some simple questions that I can ask myself that will go a long way in doing this. Like, where do we share comparable particulars? As I'm reading this thing, I'm going, hey, what that, that's similar to my life. There might be a timeless principle here. I'm reading this thing. I'm like, that's exactly what's going on in my world. That's probably a timeless principle. Or I'll ask, what does common sense tell me? Sometimes we make this way more complicated than we need to. Right? What if I just went, hey, what's common sense tell me? Like when Paul's writing, right, and he says, hey, bring my parchments and bring my cloak say like, hey i left some notes back there i left my coat back there i need those notes and it's getting cold when you come can you bring that to me common sense would tell us that's probably for that particular time those particular people when paul writes hey married people don't cheat on your spouse probably a timeless principle for christian marriage amen married people it's, 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 we don't have to make it this complicated what's common sense telling me and then i'll ask hey as I'm reading, is this speaking to culture or is this speaking to morality? Because you see, culture is a thing that oftentimes changes, but morality remains the same. And again, sometimes this is more complicated than others to figure out, but one of, the, one of the things that I can ask is, I'm trying to figure out is this culture of morality is, is this consistent? See, when the Bible speaks to morality, it, the, the message doesn't change. Because morality doesn't change. It's based on God's character, and that doesn't change. So, for example, when the Bible speaks to the the issue of human sexuality, the answer remains the same again and again and again. It doesn't change. But when the Bible will speak to an issue like a woman's role in ministry, I'll read one thing over here in Ruth, and another thing over here in Timothy, another thing over here in Romans 16, and I'm like, I'm having trouble reconciling these things. Could it be I'm having trouble reconciling these things? because culture is playing a role in that issue. So again, let's go back to Philemon and look for some timeless principles for Christian living as we apply these kind of questions to a couple of our main characters from this book. And we'll start with Philemon. Paul's writing to Philemon. He's writing to Philemon because he's, he's a little bit worried about Philemon. He's concerned that... that that Philemon is going to respond in a way that's not going to be good for Philemon and his life and his spirituality and those around him as he's wrestling with, how am I going to respond to feeling burned by Onesimus? Paul realizes what is at stake for Philemon in the midst of this. He realizes Philemon is facing the very real temptation to, to, to go someplace. And so Paul writes, he says, hey, he says, I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all of God's holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. Paul's like, finally man, whenever I'm praying for you, I cannot help but thank God for you. You love people so well. You trust in Jesus so deeply, it's inspiring to me. But Paul keeps going and he prays next, he says, I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing that we share for the sake of Christ. Paul's like, finally, God has done so much in you. I'm praying that it'll continue. Your your faith has grown, but I'm praying it'll get even deeper. Now, can you hear some of the implied concern on Paul's part? okay i'm praying because this has happened i'm praying that it'll keep happening you've gone here i'm praying that you'll go even further because in part i'm concerned that it might not keep happening that you might not drill down any deeper now why might paul be concerned well we get a clue about that in verses 8 through 10 paul says therefore although in christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is none other than Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus. See, Paul's therefore in verse 8 tells us why Paul is praying for Philemon the way he is in verse 6. He's concerned. That, that, that how, again, about how Philemon is going to respond to being burned by Onesimus. He, he realizes Philemon is facing the very real temptation to go bitter and resentful and vengeful in his response to what Onesimus has done. And Paul understands what that will do to Philemon if he gives in to that temptation. He realizes all the spiritual momentum that's been rolling along in Philemon's life is... It's going to come to a standstill. He realizes, hey, this, this is going like, to create this roadblock that's going to keep Philemon from growing deeper in his faith, from appreciating fully what God has done up to this point. He realizes this is going to cripple Philemon moving forward in ministry. And so he's like, listen, you, can, you, you can't go here. I understand what this is going to do to you, and I'm praying for you that you won't go here. And I'm praying for you because I realize how real this temptation is. And I'm praying for you because I realize how difficult the solution is. And if you miss the solution, as we read through the letter, I'll just spell it out for you plainly. Paul wants Philemon to say no to bitterness and resentment and revenge and to instead say yes to mercy and grace and forgiveness and reconciliation. Paul wants Philemon to extend to Onesimus, this guy who robbed him, who did a lousy job, who ran out on him, to extend to him mercy and grace and forgiveness and be open to reconciliation with him. Now, how many of us have a runaway slave who's returned home with a letter from our mentor? Anybody? No. How many of us have ever been burned by somebody in life? And if you didn't raise your hand, it's either because you're lying, you refuse to participate, or you just haven't lived much life. All right. And if, you, no, if nobody's burned you, hang in there. It's coming. Because <laughs> that's life with people. We've all been burned, and if you haven't, it's It's coming. And when it comes, we're gonna to have to decide what we're gonna say no to, and what are we gonna say yes to? And Paul's going, say no to bitterness and resentment and revenge. I know the temptation is real, but say yes to mercy and grace and forgiveness. As appropriate, be open to reconciliation. L- listen to me. If today Today, you feel like the momentum in your life spiritually has come to a stop. If you feel like there's this roadblock between you and God's goodness. If you feel like like I just can't get any traction moving forward. Could it be? Could it be because of how you've responded to being burned? See, that's a timeless principle. Paul's like listen I'm praying for you and he's praying for us because not only does Paul know that saying no to the right thing and saying yes to the right thing is going to protect us from these things, but Paul realized what, he realized what saying yes to mercy and grace and forgiveness and reconciliation will do for us. just like Philemon, doing so will deepen our understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Nothing will cause your faith to grow deeper like saying yes to mercy, grace, forgiveness, and reconciliation. Nothing will stretch our self-discipline and trust like saying yes to those things. Listen to me. Some of the sweetest spiritual fruit that you will ever harvest in your life will come as the result of how you respond to relational adversity. And in part, it's because when we say yes to mercy and grace and forgiveness, when we're open to reconciliation, we have shared experience with Jesus. There is no one who lived into mercy and grace and forgiveness more than Jesus. There is no one who did more to seek reconciliation than Jesus. And when we say yes to these things, we say yes to what was most important to Jesus. We say yes to what he was willing to go to the cross to make possible. And when you make important to you what was important to someone else, when you have shared experience with another person, nothing builds relationship more than those things. Paul's like, I want you to say yes, because this is gonna deepen your understanding. It's gonna grow your faith. It is gonna draw you to Christ like nothing else will. Doesn't matter if you have a runaway slave. If you've been burned, There's a timeless truth for us in Philemon. So that's Philemon. Let's let's look next at Onesimus. Paul writes a lot about who he sees Onesimus to be. Like he says to Philemon, he says, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. He's like, listen, this kid's like my kid. Not mine biologically, but he's like my son now. Paul will say, formerly he was useless to you, but now he's become useful both to you and to me. He's like, listen, I get the kid, I get it. He was a total liability, but now he's an asset to both of us. Paul says, I am sending him back to you, which is like sending my own heart. Philemon, when I watched that kid walk out my door, it's like somebody ripped open my ribcage, reached in and pulled out my beating heart. Paul writes, he says, maybe this is the reason that Onesimus was separated from you for a while so that you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but more than a slave. That is, as a dearly loved brother. He is especially dearly loved, a dearly loved brother to me. How much more can he become a brother to you? Paul's like, Philemon, When you look at Onesimus, it shouldn't be as a citizen of Rome looking down on a slave. It should be as one citizen of heaven looking across at another. Philemon, when you think about Onesimus, don't think about a servant in your house. Think about a fellow member of the forever family of God. Philemon, when you speak to Onesimus, it shouldn't be as one speaking down to his social inferior. It should be as one speaking to his spiritual equal. Paul is trying to change Philemon's perspective. He's trying to get get Philemon to see Onesimus in light of heaven. He's trying to get him to see Onesimus in light of heavenly realities. Don't don't let your culture define who this man is or how you're gonna respond to him. Let the truths of heaven determine how you're gonna interact with this man here on earth. Paul's trying to get Philemon to see Onesimus through the eyes of redemption. To see him in light of the cross of Jesus. He wants Philemon, when he sees Onesimus, to go, oh my goodness, this is someone who Jesus loved, who Jesus loved so much that he came and died on a cross in his place to make redemption possible for him. This man, now that he has faith, he is a, he, he's a member of the forever family of God with me. Paul wants, he wants to find to see Onesimus this way and respond to him in light of it. Because Paul understands Everybody's watching, and everybody's going to get a message. When Onismus burned Philemon and then came back, everybody knew. Philemon knew he got burned. His whole family knew he got burned. His whole church knew he got burned. His whole community knew he got burned. And now that Onismus comes walking back into town and up to his home, everybody's watching to see how is philemon going to respond and philemon's response is going to send a message about the nature and the power of the gospel in his life and in his world to everybody who's watching if he allows himself to go resentful and bitter and vengeful it's going to say it's going to say onesimus who you are according to our culture over rules who you are according to christ Onesimus, I see you in light of what you did for me rather than seeing you in light of what Jesus did for you. Onesimus, your ability to sin is greater than Jesus' ability to redeem. Onesimus, your ability to bring wounds to bear on my life exceeds Jesus' ability to bring healing to bear on our relationship. However, if Philemon will say yes to mercy and grace and forgiveness... To be open to reconciliation. It sends a radically different message to everybody who's watching. It cries out Onesimus, I see you in light of what Jesus did for you, rather than seeing you in light of what you did for me. Onesimus, Jesus' ability to redeem is greater than your ability to sin. Onesimus, Jesus' ability to bring healing is greater than your ability to bring wounds. And when I look at you, the culture that surrounds me does not get to define who you are. The cross does this. I'm going to treat you in light of that. Again, none of us has a runaway slave who's come back. Every one of us has someone who's burned us. Some of us are feeling it right now. we're going to respond if we say if we give in to the temptation to go bitter and resentful and vengeful it communicates a message to everybody who's watching but if we will say yes to mercy and grace and forgiveness as appropriate if we will be open to reconciliation it sends a very clear message about the nature and the power of the gospel in our lives and in our world and in our relationships. Timeless principle, whether we got a slave or not. So the epistles, we've got these letters that are written to a first century church, a first century group of Christians that contain some information that's relevant just to them and what was going on. And in the epistles, we have letters that are written to the church through all generations. Again, you read the epistles, they encourage other churches to read them because they contain timeless principles for Christians. And so our job is to figure out, am I reading just something for them and them? Or am I reading something for me here and now? and embrace those timeless truths for our lives. Would you pray with me? Father, for some of us today, part of the reminder of everything that Paul talked about is we're going to say yes to forgiveness and mercy and grace because Jesus is the ambassador of mercy and grace and forgiveness. It was so important to him that he went to the cross to make that possible. He did everything he could to open the door to reconciliation between us and God. So Father some of us we need to come to you today confessing with our sin We set heaven ablaze. We have burned you. Father, we want to make that right. We want to just seek forgiveness. Not because we've done anything to earn that, but because Jesus came. He showed us the way. He died to make right what we could not make right ourselves. You rose him from the dead to Prove everything he promised was true. In this moment, we want to put our faith and trust in him. We want to surrender ourselves, like Philemon, like Onesimus before us, to following Jesus. And Father, for some of us today, just as we're feeling burned and we're, we're wrestling with how we're going to respond, Holy Spirit, pour out your power into us to be people who say yes to the way of Jesus. We cannot do this ourselves. We need you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.